This recording is from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Laura and in each podcast I'll be meeting a geographical expert to discuss their research and where geography has taken them. Russia emits 5% of the world's greenhouse gases, yet despite being one of the largest contributors to global pollution, as of July 2019, it has not yet ratified the Paris Agreement to cut down emissions. In this podcast, we meet with Dr John Oldfield from the University of Birmingham to discuss geopolitics, the role of Russia as an influential climate actor and the potential consequences of climate change on this vast and environmentally dynamic country. We'll be finding out more about his latest research project into Soviet climate change and its intellectual legacies. So John, you specialise in Russia and more particularly how Russian geographers have understood physical systems. Could you tell me, how did your research interest develop in this area? I started university in 1991, uh, which was the fall of the Soviet Union. And so I had the, it was, it was a really interesting kind of historical context within which to go to university. I uh, became very interested in, in Russia uh, and the former Soviet Union as a consequence. And, uh, and then conducted some uh, doctoral work late 1990s on the, the kind of changing relationship between Russian society and the wider environment uh, as it shifted from that Soviet period, the, the pre-1991 period, to the post-1991 period and it became Russia, uh, Russian Federation. And, uh, and, and from there uh, everything's flowed really. Uh, so it, that work uh, began to link, uh, link me to, to debates going into the Soviet period. So the work that I'm doing today particularly during the Soviet period, links to that initial inquiry in, the, in actually the early 1990s. So for some of our listeners, I wonder if you could just um, kind of define what you mean by the Soviet period and post-Soviet Russia. Well, so I'm kind of a, I, I, I'm an individual who bridges that, that, that gap. So uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Soviet Union existed from, uh, well, from officially from 1922 through to 1991. Uh, but of course, the origins go back to actually 100 years this year, the 1917 revolution. And the, the Soviet Union, for a whole range of complex reasons, uh, actually fell apart in 1991. And the, it split into the 15, uh, 15 different, well, different countries, uh, the former republics, of which uh, Russia, the Russian Federation, is the, the largest one. And uh, then we have you know, lots of other independent states today, like the Baltic states and uh, the, the Caucasian states of Azerbaijan, Georgia, Armenia, uh, the Central Asian states. These were once parts of uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, so uh, I, I'm very interested in that shift between the Soviet and post-Soviet uh, period. What are some of the main kind of geographical debates that have developed from Russia in, in these particular time periods? How have the debates been shaped by kind of the complex... Uh, global governance? Well, I suppose for, for me, I'll be very specific, my, my work's always been interested in, in the, the, this interaction between society and, and the wider environment. Uh, and of course, so as a, as a geographer, you know, a very interesting area for, uh, for inquiry. And in those areas, the Soviet uh, geographers and even pre-revolutionary geographers, so these are those going back before 1917, uh, when uh, the Russian Empire. And the, there are uh, you can trace very interesting debates uh, that where Soviet geographers have reflected on these interactions between uh, the, uh, to some extent, society and the wider environment. But uh, there's a lot of, uh, of interesting uh, 
discussion around the, the complex nature of physical systems. Um, so for, for me, I've become very interested in those, those broader debates, particularly around physical systems. And throughout the whole of the, the 20th century, those, those particular debates uh, developed uh, very strongly within the Soviet context. Uh, and that's where actually my interest of, from climate emerges. So can I give you a quick example maybe? Is, uh, so if you go back to the late 19th century, uh, there's uh, an interesting soil scientist, pathologist called uh, Vasily Dokachaya. And uh, Professor David Moon at the University of York has done a lot of work on, on Dokachaya. But his, he, he was interested in soil, and he, but he was interested particularly in how soil uh, was the product of a whole range of physical factors, including climate, uh, vegetation, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and that kind of approach to, to the physical world, trying to, uh, trying to understand the connections between these different physical components, whether it's climate or vegetation or soil, uh, you can actually see it as being a very strong uh, motif, a very strong characteristic of, of, of what became Soviet uh, geography and, and even you know, post-Soviet geography. So actually what I've been interested in is following that, those intellectual legacies uh, which have been strongly shaped by, by geographers. Thinking about these, these legacies and histories um, and thinking about the contemporary context today of, um, of climate change, how are these histories shaping kind of our response and how are they going to be increasingly important thinking about the threat of climate change and, and our approach and understanding of it? So again, to give you an example, uh, we can think, when we say, when we think about climate change, we often think just about perhaps carbon dioxide and uh, the warming process. But this, the Soviet legacy and the Russian legacy suggests that, or particularly uh, partic particular strands of that legacy, suggests that we, we need to think more broadly than that. And it's not just about CO2 rising. If though, though that rise in CO2 has multiple implications for parts of our physical system. Uh, and, and I think one of the, one of the strengths of, of the, that legacy, if you like, is that it makes us think about this, the physical system as a whole. So when we talk about climate change, this is a, a change that is, is affecting atmosphere, shore, but ocean, the ocean system becomes a player. Uh, and other, other elements of, of the, the global physical system. So it makes us think more holistically, I guess, is the word uh, maybe I would use. Um, and it stops us being very specific uh, and, and detailed. Um, so I think, as I say, probably from a, from, in terms of the work that I've done, this has been the major, the major strand. It's, it, uh, it's like it encourages us to be more holistic in our, in our thought uh, and our thinking about uh, climate, climate change and so on. And, and we can see that in the debates that emerged in the uh, in the course of the, the 20th century in the Soviet context. The, the work that's, that's just started on the project, where we're looking at these intellectual legacies for climate change, and this is really focused on the Cold War period. So this is uh, post-1945 onwards, between 1945 and, and the end of the, the Cold War, which was, of course, with the end of the Soviet Union in 1991. Uh, so we were looking very much at, at that period and the way in which ideas about climate developed during that period. And what we can see is, is there's a whole range of, uh, of debates going on within the Soviet Union. There's a, there's a kind of an international, what you might call an international engagement, uh, which is the work that we've done to date. But it's also a very healthy and, and, and vibrant domestic debate. So in terms of the, the, the international debate, you, we've, we're finding that the Soviet Union had a, a very you know, significant uh, input and a significant influence on that international understanding of climate change. And... And you can also see that they did bring with them that holistic approach that I've mentioned. Uh, and it was, it was, again, it was a complicated uh, issue which 
possibly more time to unpack. But, you can, but the Soviets certainly had a, a significant influence on that international debate around climate change. Uh, and domestically, you see a couple of things um, of, of interest. Well, there's a whole range of things of interest, but two things perhaps are worth mentioning. One is that you have that, that, that holistic element there, but you also have a, a lot of work, a lot of interesting work that was wrapped up with thinking about uh, uh, natural change more generally, uh, autogenic change, if you like, and, and the way in which climate change is also a natural phenomenon. Uh, so you have you have a, a willingness to embrace the, the the kind of the human the anthropogenic change, uh, but you also have uh, this this other very interesting debate around autogenic and natural change, and these two came together and, and then dr drifted apart during that period. So what we're doing in the project is looking at that whole range of uh, debate around climate change and its complexity, and and in the Soviet case it was at the moment we can see it's it's complex, it's it's very broad and uh, and it's very detailed uh, and. One of the reasons that we, we kind of began, began the project uh, is, was mainly because that this, this complexity and breadth is not reflected in, in the, the literature that, uh, in the West around the climate change debate. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that we started. Are there particular reasons why you think that less attention has been paid to these debates? There's a number of reasons, which I probably allude to now. One is, is the, the simple fact that we're talking about the Cold War period. Uh, so the, the climate change debate emerged in really late 50s, 60s and particularly the 70s onwards, 1970s onwards uh, and from the 1970s onwards and into the 80s this was about global warming. Of course there are other debates around climate change, there was a, a climate cooling debate uh, in the, the middle part of the century as well. But the climate ch change debate more generally occurred internationally during the Cold War period and uh, as a consequence the, there was a great suspicion east and West, and competition as well, but uh, the, that kind of suspicion ensured that the, our understanding of what was going on in the Soviet Union was, was relatively limited. Linked to that was language, Sim uh, simply, the, uh, whereas the, the Soviets tended to, to be relatively proficient at engaging with German and English language literatures, uh, the, the Anglo-US contingent, the, the English and, and American contingents scientists tended to be relatively poor at engaging with Russian language sources. Uh, so that, that communication of, of ideas um, perhaps wasn't as, as fluent or as, as, as meaningful as it might have been. Those, those kind of factors combine to ensure that you get to the, the late 1980s, early 1990s, and we, we just didn't really know what had gone on beyond a, a very general understanding of, uh, of that Soviet period. I think that's probably, yeah, probably the two major reasons anyway. Thinking about your um, current research project now, I wonder if you could say a little bit about um, where the research has taken place, who with, um, and kind of what methods you'll be using to explore these legacies. Sure, so the, the, the project uh, is, is an international project. It's, it's funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, uh, which is one of the, the UK's uh, large funding bodies for, for research. Um, it includes uh, colleagues from the University of Manchester, my own university, the University of Birmingham, uh, but it also links with uh, colleagues from the High School of Economics in St. Petersburg, uh, and also uh, colleagues in, uh, in Norway. The idea is uh, that we, we work as a team to explore a whole range of ideas uh, linked to the, these, these intellectual debates during that Soviet period. And in order to do that, we, we're looking at archival materials. Uh, so we're, we're spending time in the archives in, in St. Petersburg and Moscow, and uh, there's a lot of, of material there of, of relevance to these debates. We're doing a lot of archival work elsewhere in places like Geneva, where the, the, uh, the World Meteorological Organization is situated. Um, 
we've recently done some work in, in Austria uh, where there's uh, another institute that was uh, that did a lot of work around east-west um, uh, well to do with east-west engagement so th these archival materials will build up over time to provide hopefully uh, an interesting picture of, of the internal debates and also crucially the way in which the, the Soviet Union was talking to the to the west and, and, and vice versa uh, we're also going to do some interviews we've, we've started to do those with uh, former Soviet climatologists, who of course now all in, you know all very old. I mean, they're in their they, they're in their eighties and nineties, and we've uh, we've done a couple, not two or three to date, and uh, we're hoping to do more of those in the, in the coming uh, coming months. And we're also going to do some uh, interviews with uh, with with kind of younger scientists. And this is the final part of the project. So this is. We, we, although we're very interested in this historical element, the, the final part of the project is asking the question, what is it about this, this, these scientific debates in the Soviet period that, that might have had some influence on the, the policies uh, and understandings of climate change post-1991, so after the fall of the Soviet Union? The, these interviews will, will help to open up that debate as well. Uh, and we, we feel that we can, you, we can see some of those influences already, uh, the way in which particular understandings, holistic understandings, for example, <coughs> of climate change have fed into the, the debates in the, in, in the contemporary period. So as a, as a geographer, although I'm interested in, in you know, this society-environment interaction, this historical angle is, uh, is, is very important for helping us to understand the, you know, the contemporary situation, we, we would argue. It's a, it's a three-year project, so this, these, uh, this, will, this research will Will take place now for the next probably 18 months, 24 months. For A-level students thinking about doing their own research, I wonder if you had any top tips or just kind of caveats on how important historical geography is to their own research and thinking about historical documents and archives in research. Maybe I'm a good example, or I'm probably a poor example, but I'll give you my example anyway. Uh, the I started out very much, I wasn't an historical geographer when I started out, uh, I, I was interested in a, in a particular question about uh, the way in which Russian uh, society was changing its, its relationship with the wider environment. But the, the more uh, work that I did during that, that period of research, the, the more I realised that a lot of what I was reading about, uh, about the contemporary period had these connections with, with you know, the, the Soviet period. Uh, so even to the extent that, uh, for example, Russia's understanding of sustainable development has references in that uh, law uh, to the work of a, of a, of a, a Soviet uh, scientist who died you know, 50, 60 years before. Um, so for me, it's, it's, if I'm trying to make sense of this contemporary period and, and the way in which we understand the, the world around us, the physical world, the interaction between the, the physical and, and social worlds, the, uh, the, the kind of the, the roots of that understanding, uh, under, I mean, and as, I guess, Quite understandably, uh, exist uh, exist in the past. So I, I can't. I suppose I look at it that you you, you just follow the thread of. Um, so I, I often start in the contemporary period and then follow the thread backwards, uh, and and in, uh, I've gone increasingly further back in time. So that initial inquiry of the nineteen nineties took me to the end of the the nineteenth century, and it's just about in a sense following the thread. And, and once you begin to do that. You, there are a whole range of materials that, that emerge and, and it's often about asking yourself um, or taking a chance I guess it's taking a chance on the fact that certain materials might be there or asking questions about 
about materials that you hold might be there. Uh, and, and you often get disappointed, but at the same time, other things emerge. And, and I suppose for me, the, the historical uh, work has always been interesting because you really don't know what is there. And uh, so for me, it's, I suppose it's about uh, being very open to, um, uh, to that kind of, to, to the pursuit of, of, of that thread, if you like, and keep pulling at that thread and keep asking questions. And it's amazing where you, you, you end up, I guess, is what I'm saying. For some of our students who might be listening and Jacobi teachers, is there um, anywhere that they can follow how your project's going to um, develop? There is a, a website, which, shall I read that website out? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's at uh, it's https uh, forward slash, and it's all one word, sovietclimatechange.wordpress.com. Uh, and uh, the, the, the skeleton website's up and running. And the idea is that... Uh, We'll post regular updates there, whether it's to do with uh, some uh, some outputs, uh, academic outputs, or podcasts, or, or you know, more more general information, uh, and that will be updated regularly over the next two to three years. For more information on resources and CPD events to support geographical learning, visit www.rgs.org/schools or follow us on Twitter at rgs underscore ibgschools for the latest updates. Thanks for listening.